Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Hey, welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Andrew. I'm lead pastor. We are so glad to get joined us today from wherever you're watching or listening from. If this is your first time joining us, hey, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click I'm new. If you fill out that short form online as a way of saying thank you, we're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that's listed. All right. Well, we're going to wrap up Romans chapter 3 today, okay? Now, it might be a little bit longer than what you're used to, but stick with me because, you know, what Paul has to say here at the end of chapter 3, man, it's really great. He started the chapter, as we saw last time, talking about the greatness of God. How, you know, God is better than us, okay? Like, I think we can, that's not controversial, right? God's better than us. Uh, and, and I've got some, some news for you, too. Uh, God is working in spite of us, and He's good in spite of us, and He's better than we could imagine. Now, Paul also talks a lot about the law in chapter 3, verses 1 through 20, and how its purpose is to show us, you know, how way off course we are. The law serves to show you your sin, to reveal your lostness, but also to point you straight to Jesus, who can take that sin from you and give you new life. Now as we move into the latter half of Romans 3, Paul is going to dig deeper into what makes us right with God, or what makes us righteous, we might say. He's talked all about the gospel in Romans 1 and 2. That's carried over into the first part of chapter 3, but now he's going to show you what to do with it. And in doing so, he's going to disavow all of our religious tendencies to work and hustle our way to God. I think Christians get really stuck trying to please God. I think that's a shame. Because really, you can't please Him, right? Like, there's nothing you could do that would be good enough. Only Jesus was good enough to please God. But the good news, the gospel, is that you can have access to what Christ did for free. God's salvation doesn't cost you a thing. But it did cost Him everything because He sent His Son for us. Now, some of you watching, listening, you're already getting a little turned off. Like, you've heard that phrase before. And this is going to start to sound too familiar to you. But if Christianity turns you off to God, my bet is this because you've been taught behavior modification, that you have to work hard or be good enough to earn God's favor and blessing. Can I just tell you today that God is not impressed with your obedience. He's impressed with Jesus' obedience. Jesus didn't die and rise again to give you a new rule book. He died and rose again to give you a relationship. Like we're to live in response to this devotion that you know, we now have as his followers, right? And we live in response to what he's done for us. The problem is we tend to kind of put the cart before the horse. And so what do we do? We start to focus on all the things you can't do. When you live out of rules, you get religious. But when you live out of faith, you delight in Christ. You live out of relationship. I don't sleep with other women, you know, not because it's against the rules, especially in our culture that prioritizes multiple partners. I don't do it because I have relationship with my wife. It's not perfect. It's got problems like everybody else's, but all I do is for her and how I want to live is to please her and draw close to her. And it's not an obligation. It's love that stems from relationship. Somebody reached out to us at Radiant Church, and, and, and this happens a lot. You know, we get asked questions like this all the time. They're looking for a new church. They've got a Christian background.
background. They want to know all the things we believe, right? And, and we have a belief section on our website that tells you some basic doctrines we embrace. We include a link to the network we're a part of, the Assemblies of God, if you want to learn even more. But we don't have a list of all the prohibitions, you know, because what we're usually asked is like, well, hey, do you let these types of people do this? And do you think it's okay for this kind of person to serve there? And, you know, and I'll be honest, like, I understand partly where they're coming from because in the church in America, right, it's fracturing like crazy uh, along all the same cultural lines everything else is. But at the same time, like, I'm honest with them and I'll tell them they're probably not going to be a good fit for Radiant. Now, why is that? Well, because they're so focused on all the things you can't do as a Christian, right? They're, they're just not focused uh, on anything else but religion. We want to see changed lives. We want God's power to transform people. We're not going to spend our time telling you all the things you cannot do. We're, we're going to do all that we can to point you to Jesus and let him radically change you from the inside out. I'm not going to change you, but I'll let God's spirit change you. So this section that Paul's taking us to today, it just crushes religion. In fact, verses 21 through 26 probably is a, you know, one of the most theologically condensed places, not just in Romans, but like all the Bible. And the message here is that we have this righteous life in God available to us relationally. It's our relationship with God and our faith that allows us to receive His grace. And so what I want you to see here is, is where the grace of God meets our faith. They're not two separate things. I know the Reformers separated them, you know, sola fide, faith alone, sola gratia, grace alone, but they really go hand in hand. I don't think they're separate at all. So I'm, I'm going to jump back to start off to verse 21 and just get to start it today. And here's what Paul's going to say. Verse number 21. He says this, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who they are. And it's really clear here from what Paul you know, has written that up to this point, you know, he's making it pretty clear that that Jesus is the full picture of God's story. It's all about Christ. He lays the groundwork that we're all sinners, but now all have been justified because of what Christ did for us on the cross. And so all the Old Testament points to him and, and what he would do and what would be made available to all who believe. And anyone can accept this gift of, of salvation. Anyone. The only catch, really, if, if you want to call it a catch, is that you have to believe. But it's there for you. If you choose not to believe, that's on you. God didn't make that decision for you. He's done his part, and the ball is in your court. In Matthew 15, Jesus is eating dinner, and some of the Pharisees and other leaders rip into him for not washing his hands correctly. Now, you've got to understand, ritualistic washing was just wild back then. There's a whole routine about how the water had to flow, and where you would start to pour the water, and how many times you'd wash. It was just, it was just ridiculous. And so Jesus looks at these guys, and he doesn't even defend his actions. He just says, don't you realize that you nullify, or in other words, like you cancel out your devotion of God for the sake of man-made traditions. One translation says that he, he told them, you have voided your intimacy with God because of man-made traditions. You know, like, why is the church, and I'm like saying big C here, okay, church, why is it so fractured along preferential lines, worship, preaching, doctrines of no eternal significance? Well, it's because we have man-made traditions we hold tightly to. Like, who cares? Who cares if the music is too loud or too contemporary, too traditional? Like, who cares if it's the Baptist church or non-denominational church that you go 
to. Like, don't cancel out your intimacy and your relationship with God because of your traditions and preferences. We all have our preferences, me included, this church included. But preferences don't save you and they don't really draw you any closer to God. So don't worry about them. The moment we start to worry and care about our preferences is the moment we put on the pharisaical hats and become religious. Don't be that way, okay? Everything in the Old Testament, it points to Jesus. Everything in the New Testament, it points back to Jesus. The gospel is the centerpiece of just human history. There's no other option God's made available to save humanity. And by the way, there's no other vehicle chosen to carry this message other than the church. It's just plan A. There is no plan B. We preach the message in hope of Christ and all that we do when we live for Him and wherever we go. And so Paul keeps going here in verse 23. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, and yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. And He did this through Christ when He freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed His life, shedding His blood. And this sacrifice shows that God was being fair when He held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For He was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness for he himself is fair and just, just being key there, okay? And he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. We're going to camp here for a little bit because we just moved from carving into a sirloin in the last couple of verses to being served a big juicy filet mignon right here, okay? There's so much packed in. I don't have time to address all of it. I'm going to do my best, though, to give you what you need in the time that we have, okay? Uh, but this passage right here, this is when God's grace meets our faith, when God's grace meets our faith. Now, it's not all God. It's not all us. It takes both God's sovereignty and our decision together producing a Christian. Now, I don't want you getting caught up in the centuries-old debate. Does God destine people to be believers? Do we choose on our own accord? Like, let me save you a lot of time. It's both, okay? We respond on our own will and choice to what? To the work that God has done through Christ. It wasn't our idea. We didn't set all the necessary steps into motion. We're responding to God's sovereign act of sending Christ to die for our sins and then rise again. So it takes both. And that's why when you say yes to Christ, it's the moment where grace meets faith. Paul makes it clear in Romans 3.23, we have all fallen short. Everybody has sinned. It's in our nature to do this. We're born into sin because, because of Adam, something that we're going to get into deeper later on in Romans. But the human race is flawed and fallen. You know, any parent can tell you, and they don't have to teach their kids how long, you know, how to, how to do the wrong thing, right? It just comes natural to do the wrong thing. <laughs> and since we've fallen and we're in sin, uh, here's something else. We can't save ourselves, right? Like we're justified by God because of His grace, which by the way is a gift that He gives to us through the redemption of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. But it has to be received by faith to be worth anything to us. And that's what makes salvation a little tricky sometimes. It doesn't rely on logic or reason or science. It's faith. 
we're, we're 10 minutes from Clemson University, okay? So, so many great minds and intellectuals are in this community, but sometimes the more educated we are, the higher intellect we have, the more we become victims of our own intellect, right? Like we've been taught since the days of the Enlightenment that if we can't prove it through the scientific method, if you can't assign a logic or a reason to something, it must not be true. It's not verifiable. At best, at best, it's theory. But then we'll take theories and we'll treat them as fact. Like we, we can't actually prove the theory of relativity in its entirety, right? Uh, we, we, or something else we're familiar with, the theory of evolution. Like we treat them as fact and as, the, as if they're like case closed subjects though. Like why? Because we see evidence and results and we draw conclusions that these theories must be true even though we don't understand them fully or with, get this, absolute certainty. Look, faith isn't a theory. I, I don't think we should treat it any worse than the myriad of other theories we have out there. Like, we trust something even though we can't see it or prove it. Not once does Paul or Jesus talk about faith without results, without action, by the way. If you have faith, if you believe, then live it out. And living out your faith produces what? Results and evidence. It's our response to the gift of God's grace. Imagine for a moment, you have a large mountain of debt, and then somebody out of nowhere comes along, somebody you've never met before, and they just pay it all off. They pay off your mortgage, your student loans, your car, like everything. But they're not done yet. They then deposit so much money into your account that you never have to worry about anything again. And still, they're not done. They next open investment accounts for you to ensure that you can live the life that you've always wanted to live. I mean, how many of you would change your lives as a result of that kindness, right? Like how many of you would live with appreciation that you could never repay that person back, you could never thank them enough, you would never want to miss an opportunity again to show your love and gratitude to them. Well, that's what God did for us when he sent Christ to be, as Romans 3.25 puts it in the Greek language, our propitiation. Big word there, I know. I don't want to skip over this. Because that, 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 that word, propitiation, verse 25, is one of the most significant verses in all of Scripture. So kind of zoom in, pay attention for a few minutes, okay? I touched on this a little bit at the end of Romans 1. Romans 1, 18-32, God talk, talks about God's wrath and how it's against man, right? Well, not really. It's against man's sinful nature. However, if you live according to the sinful nature, you're going to be a recipient of this wrath and judgment from God. So you're in trouble. So how are we made right with God then? Well, how do we avoid experiencing His wrath? Well, it's through the work of Christ on the cross. So in the Old Testament sacrificial system, there was a day of atonement which occurred annually in Israel. And it marked the postponement of God's wrath against His people. Two really important sacrifices were made in that day. One was the blood sacrifice of a ram carried into the most inner part of the temple called the Holy of Holies. And that happened by the high priest. He could do that one time a year on this day. The penalty for sin is death. And it's instead of people dying, this sacrifice symbolically represented the people and, and it died for their sins. And then there was another sacrifice where a goat was taken and scarlet thread tied to its horns. And it was then let loose to wander in the wilderness. So the term scapegoat, all right, it comes from this practice right here. And it symbolized God taking the sins away from the people. But again, it was only for a short time. 
This was repeatedly done year after year. In fact, God really went against his character by passing over the sins of people who should have suffered spiritual separation and judgment, but did not in that era. Why? Because there was not yet an adequate sacrifice that could satisfy his wrath. And this is what Paul's talking about at the end of verse 25 when he says this, that this sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. Everyone dies in their sin. David, Abraham, Moses, no one enters having experienced salvation in the Old Testament era. And then Jesus comes into the picture and, and grace and faith meet and everything changes. His sacrifice permanently dealt with God's wrath against sin. And so God then makes those in the past who were righteous but died in sin. David, Moses, Abraham, okay? He makes them right with him. And then he makes future sinners, people like us, right with him too as a result of our placing faith in Christ because it is Jesus who's paid our bill. He's turned away God's wrath. Not every year, not a few times here and there. He's done it once and for all. Look at verse 26. For he, this is God, was looking ahead and including them, Old Testament era believers, okay? And what he would do in this present time, this is the resurrection and death of Jesus. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness for he himself is fair and just and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Let me unpack it a little bit more, okay, and make it a little bit easier to grasp. Jesus' death and resurrection turned away God's wrath and judgment for everyone who would choose to live by faith, right, and accept God's gift of grace. And that means this, that God has given Jesus as the full payment for our past sins, okay, and then he's given us life that's abundant and overflowing. That's here in the present. And he guarantees eternal life in his kingdom. That's the future. And all that is a gift given to you and you didn't earn or deserve. You couldn't do anything to, to merit that gift or work for it. It was God giving it to you out of love and desire for both you and his own glory. And so when you grasp this, when it finally dawns on you what Christ did and who he is and how he's inviting you to change your life, I mean, that just changes everything, doesn't it? And so now faith moves to action. We've put our behavior before belief for so long, haven't we? Like how many of y'all grew up in church where you were learned or you were taught you have to change your behavior and how you live and all kinds of stuff before you can believe. There's definitely a place for that. Like you need to obey God. But obedience is a result of our faith. It's not a producer of our faith. Like I obey because I believe, because I have a relationship. I, I, don't, I don't choose to obey so I might have faith. I have faith, therefore I obey. Verse 27. Can we boast then that we've done it by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. What's it based on? It's based on faith. So we're made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. Paul had a, he had a rough past, but you don't hear a whole lot about it. You ever notice that? Like he talks about it here and there, but he never really dwells on it. He doesn't dive into great detail. He spends all of his time talking about Jesus. Now I bring that up to make this point real quick. It's not your past that's worth talking about. I mean, I know it's part of your story and that's important, but don't spend all your time talking about who you were before Christ. Like all of us were sinners before we met Jesus, okay? So spend your time talking about who you are now in Christ. Boast about where you come, not where you came from, but who you are now, who, who Christ is and what he did in your life. 
let's finish this out. Verse 29. After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Well, of course he is. There's only one God, and he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they're Jews or Gentiles. Well then, if we emphasize faith, does it mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we live by faith do we truly fulfill the law. So much talk about the law, <laughs> right? You got to understand, though, how central the law, the Torah, Pentateuch, Prophets, Writings, how, how central it was to Jewish life. It was everything. And there's a reason so much of Paul's letters deal with this topic. So what do we do with it? Do we just get rid of it now that we have Jesus? Well, no, because now that we're followers of Christ, we get to honor the Word of God. We get to live the life of a Christian. Everything the law couldn't do, Hebrews says, it failed to change our hearts, Jesus could do. And now that we have Christ, fulfill the law, once we place our faith in Him, we can now honor the law and actually live in the spirit of the law because we live in Jesus, because we have relationship with Him. We no longer follow out of duty or obligation. We now take our faith and live it out. Faith in action because we have relationship. We delight in the Lord. Again, like, why do I treat my wife the way that I do? Because I love her. I have a relationship with her. Why do we uphold the law? Because of our faith. Because of our relationship with Christ. We get to live the law out through faith and the only one who could fulfill it. Now, I can already hear a few of you saying, well, pastor, obviously, you didn't read the law. <laughs> There's some crazy stuff there. There's all kinds of ancient backwards that I don't want to deal with that. That's not what we're talking about. What does it look like to live out our faith and move it to action, to live out the law? What does that look like? Well, it looks like this. We don't murder, right? We don't murder. The law says don't do it. Jesus says, if you get angry at someone unjustly, you've committed murder in your hearts. So like, I don't commit murder physically, and I do my best to have the right spirit and carry out the intent of the law, not because it's written in Leviticus, but because I have relationship with Jesus. So I don't want to even get angry at somebody the wrong way because of my walk with the Lord. There's something else, too, that our faith does. It's really important as well. It gives us a if you bought into the idea that you have to get saved every week, every Sunday, that if you don't get forgiveness for this one thing that happened three days ago or last week or whatever, you're going you're to risk hellfire, you need to know the gospel isn't that fragile. You're not saved because of anything you did. And by the way, like you're not damned because of anything you did uh, you know, either. And I'm not talking about in terms of walking away from the faith or choosing to reject Jesus. That's an entirely different matter. I'm speaking here to Christians who may live in this fear that if every single sin isn't forgiven, like you stubbed your toe and kind of let that word fly, you know, and you looked at a, a woman or a guy the wrong way, that you're, you're not damned to hell because of that. That would require you to live a perfect life. And, and you can't live that way. Only one person did. And by the way, you're not him. But it's also a license, or not a license to sin either. So you don't get to live how you want to live. Assurance is knowing that you're secure in the hands of God with your salvation. So stay committed. Have a tender heart toward the things of God. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Despise what God despises. Love what God loves. All because what? Because you have relationship with Him. 
Like, I'm not severing ties in my kids because they do the wrong thing sometimes. You know, God's not going to cut you loose for a bad night out. Are there consequences? Absolutely. And you have to deal with those. But God is not going to sever ties over it. He didn't cast David out for adultery and murder. Okay? He didn't cut Samson off because he was a womanizer and prideful and, by the way, deliberately disobeyed God, like intentionally. It takes a lot more. Okay? It takes you choosing to walk away and you severing this relationship yourself. We don't have to live this faith out, man. We get to do it. It's not an obligation. It's delight. Jesus paid our debt. He's canceled our future debt. We get to live this life of faith and appreciation and love for all that he's done for us as a result of that. Think about that debt for a moment I talked about earlier. You know, it's, it's all paid off. It's all gone away. Wouldn't your attitude be like, I get to live this way because of what that guy did for me? If you had all that debt paid off and your account's overflowing and investment's going strong, would you have the attitude of, well, now I have to do this because he paid everything and, you know, I just kind of owe. Like, no, like everything from here on out for you would be a privilege, right? A privilege because you didn't deserve what you got. You would get to live this life of freedom. So what if we put our faith in and trust in Christ and not our own hustle? What if we gave up trusting in our own selves and our own works? And Jesus paid our debt. And this new life in Christ is now a life we get to live. And can you say that about your attitude, man? Like, can you say that's where you are today? And if not, then my prayer for you is that Christ will come alive and you'll choose to live in the fullness of all that he has for you. Jesus paid it all. He paid your bill. Not to give you more rules, not to give you more religion or some manual on how to live. He paid it all because He loves you and desires relationship with you. Lives are forever changed when God's grace meets our faith. Maybe you're watching or listening here right now and you say, Pastor, I, I don't have this relationship you keep talking about. I don't know Jesus. I know He don't know me. And I want that to change. What do I do? Here's what, here's what we're going to do here today. Wherever you're watching, listening from, just take a moment, if that's you. Just stop what you're doing. And I'm going to model a prayer for you to say. Now, your journey is just starts this prayer. It's not going to end, but this prayer just starts. But I'm going to model a prayer for you to say. We're going to make Christ our Savior first, who's going to save us from our sins. Then we're going to ask Him to be Lord of our lives, meaning we're not going to call the shots. He's going to do it from now on, okay? And that's the first step. You have to accept Him as Lord and Savior in your life for this relationship to begin. So, so wherever you happen to be watching, listening from, if that's you, you say, Pastor, I want this relationship. I don't have this relationship with God to keep talking about. You're going to say a prayer that, that kind of goes like this. Say it in your own words with me here, okay? Lord, I, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for my sin. I know that I've done things that, that go against you. In fact, we, we, Romans 3.23, I know that I've, I've, I've fallen short of your standards. I know I've done things and lived in a way that's violated those standards. I got sin all over the place, and I need you to forgive me. God, will you cleanse me of my sin and my wrong? Will you give me forgiveness? Will you grant mercy to me? I mean, I don't deserve this forgiveness, Lord, but I'm asking for you to show me mercy and show me your grace and grant me this forgiveness. Be my savior today. I can't save myself. I, I can't make up for all the things that I've done, but I know that you in one fell swoop, man, you can cover it all because you paid it all. And so today I'm asking you, Jesus, save me. Save me from my sin. 
and I'm not going to live for my life anymore the way that I want to do things. I'm not going to call the shots. It's not going to be about me. From this day forward, I'm inviting you, Jesus, to be Lord of my life. Will you guide me and direct me? Will you lead me? Will you help me to grow? Will you, will you take me where I need to go? And, and Lord, will you just plot out the rest of my life, man? I'm, I'm going to give everything I have over to you. I'm going to commit myself today to doing all that I can to follow you, to obey you, because I, I need this. Lord, I need, I need you to be Lord. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Grant me this new life and this new freedom and this new start that only you can give. And Father, I thank you for those who are also watching and listening right now that are believers and uh, maybe they're strengthened here today, but God, maybe they're out there and they're, they, they've been working hard. <laughs> they've been trusting a lot in their own hustle. And I pray, Lord, that they would realize today you, don't, you can't work and earn your way into heaven and God's grace. Your blessing and favor doesn't come based on all the things we do for you. I pray, Lord, we'd stop working so hard. I pray religion would, would be crushed in our hearts that, God, we would embrace relationship. We would gravitate towards this time of being with you, being in relationship, being close to you, God, I pray. May, may we not be so caught up in doing things for you that we just really we forget to be with you. I just pray this relationship that we have would be stronger, and, and, and God, we would draw closer to you and help us to become the people you've called us to be. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.